Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. We are recording. Today we will be bringing you part two of Q&A. No, this is like part three. This is part 10. I don't know. We're going to do, we're going to do questions and answers again today. Like we've done before. Yeah, you're right. We've done, we did one round. So I guess it'd be round two. Cause we did round one that had two parts and now we're going to do round two and this will probably be two parts. And then eventually we'll probably do a round three with two more parts. Yeah. That's six, that's six parts in total. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, it's a pretty popular feature. It seems like we get a lot of action when we ask that question. Yeah, well, we and I think it's questions. important, too, because it's like, you know, people people would like to know answers from you, but you don't always have the time to get to the questions that people ask you on an individual basis. So this is a way where we can kind of clearing house some of those a little bit. Yeah, cool. Well, All right. Well, let's start. Uh, I'm going to read off everybody's names as best as I can. And if I butcher it, I apologize in advance. I'm going to read the question. I'm going to skip questions that are either impertinent or I find offensive. <laughs> um, and that's hard to do. So if you, I missed your question, then either, you know, you didn't get it in in time or you managed to offend me, which is rare. So it's here pretty, we go. Pretty hard. J.R. Brochus. As each Brochus. J.R. Brochus. As each individual may have a different outlook on the dark art movement, as well as the reason it is so important. What drew you to it? And why do you feel it is so important? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I think what, what drew me to it is, you know, kind of anyone's guess in the documentary, we, you know, ponder that question a little bit. Um, maybe it was my gra crazy grandfather chasing me around the house when I was three years old in a caveman <laughs> mask and turning the lights off. But, you know, it really, to me, it feels almost like genetic you know, and I've probably said this before, almost mm -hmm. like, you know, being straight or gay, you know, it's like, it's just, it feels like that's how I am. So, but, but, you know, I realize it's not normal necessarily, I guess. I mean, it's totally normal to me. And I think to you too. Yeah, definitely. It just feels normal. Like I, I see stuff that's creepy and I, and I just think, oh my God, that's so cool. And it's like, <laughs> like a normal person would see a beautiful flower or something, which I also think is, is beautiful and cool, but it just yeah, yeah. really hits me in, well, there, the, in the gut. And there are different kinds of beauties. I mean, it's right. not like one, there's one kind of beauty and that is all there is, you know, there's right, so many right. different kinds of beauties. Right, you know, right. one, I can be attracted to, to beautiful scenes of nature and also be attracted to monsters. It's they're, right. they're not, you know, they're, they're not counterintuitive in my world. Yeah, but same I agree here. with you. It's almost like I was born that way because I was having these really violent, horrific nightmares as a young person, very young, you know, three, three and a half years old. And so I was, I already had these images. So the reason I was drawing them was because like, obviously I needed to purge that on some level. I needed, it was intense what I was experiencing in my nightmares and my parents didn't put a cap on that. They were like, yeah, go ahead and draw and do whatever you right. want to do. So I was drawing violent things because I was seeing violent things. Now where that was coming from, 
I, I would have to, I mean, if I were to make a, a guess, I would have to say something along the lines of the collective unconscious or, or, you know, genetics or whatever, but it's definitely not something that I had any environmental referential, uh, you know, right, point right. for certainly in my, in my life at right. that point. Yeah. And I kind of did just because of the, there was, you know, family discord and kind of some trauma there. So I could, you know, I could justify it that way. And that may be the, the reason it happened, but I don't know. There was so much, there's so much more to it for me. Cause there was, you know, we, we just always had ghosts in the house and Ouija boards and it was just sort of part of our family in this mm -hmm. weird way. And nobody was really scared of it. Everyone was kind of cool with it. So, you know, I'm not, it, I guess the reason doesn't matter that much to me. It's more like what matters to me is that people learn to accept that part of themselves in a healthy way, you know, mm -hmm. rather than trying to reject it and then end up being a, a serial killer or something, you know, yep. Expre yep. express it in art. And so, so I guess, you know, we could go on and on and, and, um, and think about the reasons, but the important thing is that it's, that's the way we are and we're cool with that. And there, there is, there are many ways to integrate it into our lives in a healthy way. So, um, yep. what was yep. the second part of the question? Uh, it said, what drew you to it? And the second part was, why do you feel it is important? Oh, and, uh, well, like we've talked about this a lot of times on the podcast, I think, and in the movie and because it's, it's important because it's representing, uh, it's important for a lot of reasons, really. It's, you know, I think it represents how people feel, which is valid enough on its own. And it represents the world we live in right now, you know, and, and, you know, the, the horrors of being alive, which there are many horrors to being alive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, well, I think also I would, I would go so far as to say, at least for myself on top of all of those things. I think that for me, it represents when I look at a piece of artwork, you know, the interpretations I'm drawing from it are subjective. And so it's a reflection. It's like a mirror. I'm looking at it and whatever conclusions I'm drawing based on what I'm seeing are really I'm coloring that in with my own perception. And so it's reflecting back to me things about myself that may be dark. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people don't want to look at that stuff, but that's the very stuff we should be looking at. Because like you said, if you repress these things about ourselves, as opposed to accepting that they exist, however deplorable they may be, you know, then you're going to end up in a situation where you're acting out, de you know, in a destructive manner as opposed to a constructive manner. Right. So the art is a way to actually be constructive with something that, you know, on the surface appears scary. But, it, you know, if you accept it as opposed to kind of try to avoid it, you end up in a more balanced position, I think, as a spirit and a human. Yeah, absolutely. I think you kind of become more of a whole person by accepting that part of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um and, 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 you know, the bottom line on the, on the very surface level, to me, it's just, it's important because I just love it. It's, and that's, you know, really that's enough. I just think it's so amazing and I love it and it's, it's, it's what I love. And so if you love it, that's good enough reason. You mm -hmm. know? So word word. Okay. All right. So moving on to my boy, Andrew Hawkins. He says, where do you see the dark art movement in five years? This is a great question. That is a great question. Man, that's hard to say. Um, I see, you know, I see it growing every day. 
or every week or every month at least you know i see i just i see more and more people accepting the term and using the term to describe their artwork you know i see a lot more fans i see a lot more artists all the time so five years let's see what year will that be 20 uh, uh two 2022 that's crazy mm -hmm. god i'll be 55 years old <laughs> <That's> <laughs> shit. um yeah if i live that long let's see no i i, I just i just think as time goes on it's going to get more mainstream acceptance I believe mm -hmm. because obviously the younger generations are there's a whole huge community out there that's totally into it and totally gets it and they want to buy the art they want the galleries to go see the artwork at um and if you're you know if you're one of those people which you probably are if you're if you're listening to this podcast you can you can help this movement by supporting it by buying art if you can afford it if you can't yep. or even if you can by sharing it by making other people aware of it because you'll be surprised at, at, at uh you know you'll be surprised i think if you if you um broach the subject with people that that you that you're you know co-workers and stuff you you might not necessarily think are into it based on how they mm -hmm. look you know because i don't look like uh i mean i I kind of look like a, a biker or something, I guess. But I don't, you know, I'm not like all totally goth out or anything. I'm but just even, like I mean, Pedro there's so many, yeah, there's slob, so many normal you know? looking people out there that are totally into it. You know, I mean, I've met, I've honestly met more normal looking people that are into right. dark art than I have people well, that look Andrew, weird that are into it. Andrew Hawkins and, and uh, Andrew and Deborah are perfect examples. You know, yep. you, would, you would never think by looking at them that they're totally into this stuff. But nope. so, you know, I, I, like I, I, I just, like I said, I don't know that there's a big thing that will happen within five years, but, um, you know, I just think it's going to keep getting better and better and bigger and bigger because there's obviously a, a, a market for it and a desire for it. So, and you can be a part of it We're we're in the well, very beginnings. That's what's exciting about it. Yeah. It's ground floor level stuff. Yeah, I mean, and like Chet said, you know, I think when you're going to, when you're pursuing getting involved in supporting artists and artwork, you know, choose the people that you believe in, you know, people that you want to support because you got to remember that, yeah, you're getting something out of it, but what are you, you know, who are you giving to? And, right. you know, you should be careful with who you give your, your money to because your money is, is just a marker for your energy and time spent. And that's the most valuable thing you have because we're all, we all have a limited amount of time here. So, uh, you know, just be careful, pick the people that you really support and believe in, because, you know, if you start supporting somebody, even small amounts, it's like, you know, I, how many different bills, for instance, do I have a, a month? It's like a nine ninety nine for this platform and a twelve ninety nine for this platform and a fourteen ninety. You know what I mean? Every time someone gives you money, they just paid for a month of whatever service you're having to use in order to do your business. You know, and that makes a huge difference. So pick the people you want to support, and and like Chet said, you know, any way you can, whether that's giving them three bucks or that's buying a piece of art from them or just promoting them on social media with your coworkers, your friends, or whatever. Yeah, I know a lot of people who can't afford to buy artwork. Um, which is part of the reason I made these open edition prints so cheap. And I have these sales for like 10 or 20 bucks for a print. Cause it's, you know, most people can afford that much yep. for, for some art if they really love it. Not everybody, but most people can. And, um, uh, but I know people that can't even afford that, but they, they share, they share the links 
they share the artwork, they promote the artists. And, you know, the more we are sharing each other's work and promoting each other rather than competing with each other, yep, exactly. you know, and those artists that are, that do that sort of thing need to be weeded out or ignored. In my opinion, this is, this community should all be about, um, supporting each other. This shouldn't yeah, be like the regular, idea is- you know, co- competitive bullshit. You know, we're right. all, all in this together. It's a we're, we're, it's a big thing that's happening. It's a it's a cooperative. You know, I mean, that's you know, you and I've tossed that word around a lot, and I think that you and I both pretty much perceive the dark art society as such. You know, it's an association, but it's a cooperative. I mean, right. that's what we. You know, what what are what's the base root here is cooperation, cooperate, right? <laughs> so operating, cooperating. That's two people operating together. That is cooperation. So right. you know, that's what we're 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 looking at here is like if you're in the competition mode, what you're doing is you're looking to try to jump from pool to pool, and you're kind of always looking for a bigger pool. You're like this fish, and you're like, oh, I'm getting a little big for this pool. You know, jump into a bigger pool. But if we're all working together, all we're doing is expanding this pool and now we're all working in an ocean you know and we're right. all working together and so th- we really end up with more possibilities and more resources and more prowess in it within the realm of, of fine artistry as a result of cooperating yeah i, I would I, you know i would much rather be making less money in in a community that was real and that we we're all really you know part of this big good positive thing than to suddenly be accepted by the blue chip galleries and be paint, you know, selling paintings for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Really, I would. I really would. I mean, I, I, I'd rather do the extra work. Of course, I, you know, it'd be great if this whole thing pays off and I can eventually sell stuff for, you know, a lot of money when I get older. But um, that's definitely not my primary objective, or else I would not be taking this route. You know, I think I just I've always felt. Like I'd rather, even with galleries, you know, it's like, I always felt like I'd rather be in a gallery that I really believed in than a gallery that was the top of the line gallery, you know, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, why I've stuck with, I've been so loyal to Capro Gallery because they, they've become like a top, they're definitely a t- one of the top galleries for sure. But um, at the time I've, you know, during my time with them, they weren't always the top gallery, you know, so I'd rather... I just would rather be part of something that was happening and growing rather than trying to adapt to something I didn't fully believe in mm-hmm. to be accepted by people and have to convince them of why, you know, I've always kind of felt that way as far as the mainstream art world goes. Like, you know, if you people don't want me, then I don't want to be in your thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to be in a place where I'm not wanted. Right. You know, well, that's, I mean? why, that's why I think even as a kid and even now I've always dressed in, in a, you know, an odd fashion because it's like an instant filter. If someone's going to judge me based on how I look right out the gates, then I'm, I know that I'm not really going to want anything to do with them anyway. Right. You know, so I just weeded that out. You know, it's the mm-hmm. same difference. Yeah. It's like I'm not going to engage in that if I and if I have a pre-existing filter, it saves me a lot of trouble and energy because, you know, people can fool you. Even 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 the most uh, perceptive of us are fooled yep. from time to time. All right, should we move on? We've only yes. done two now. Yeah, yeah. we got to move. It's 15 <laughs> Matthew, minutes in. Matthew Wilcox. He's got a two-part question, and the first part is a joke, but I'm going to have you ask, answer it anyway because I think it's funny. Okay. Chet, what does periwinkle taste like? Periwinkle. Periwinkle. Uh, you know, I I don't have a flavor for periwinkle because hmm. 
I have a flavor for Winkle or uh, Twinkle, which is Rice Krispies. But Periwinkle is a word that I don't think came into my consciousness until I was a young adult. All these, by then, all your neural pathways right. had developed. All these synesthesia, synesthesia. Yeah, <laughs> the synesthesia words all are from you know when I was a really really young kid. So anyway, what about okay. Perry? Do you, do you, Perry, that tastes like cranberry juice. Ah, mm-hmm. berry, Perry, cool. Yeah, maybe. Okay, yeah. so now to now to the important part of the question: What is your biggest frustration concerning dark art and its acceptance or lack of? Um, that's a good question. My biggest frustration. Uh, <sighs> hmm. My biggest frustration is, um, let's see. I, uh, mute your mic. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd, been, I'd been good up to this point. <laughs> well, now everybody knows it's me and not you, so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Right. Um, I would say probably the lack, you know, there's still the lack of respect from the, I don't know, because the mainstream of the art world now is different than it used to be. So I don't even know what I'm saying. I I guess I I would like to see the dark, dark artists that I would actually like to see the, the movement be regarded as highly as the lowbrow movement or the pop surreal movement. And it's not, mm, okay. it's not yeah. really yet. It's not, I agree because we have, I mean, we're, we're barely just at the stage of like people agreeing on a name for it, you know, <laughs> let alone right. it being anything more than that. So yeah, <laughs> I agree with you that that would be cool to see. Even if, you know, uh, yeah, just, just the respect and acknowledgement that this is a legitimate movement and it's not just a bunch of stoners making you know, horror, cheesy horror stuff. You know, there's there's yeah. a lot more to it than that. So, all right, Eric Sazo, he hey, says Eric. when he says when eating a muffin, what part is best, top or bottom? Now this is just a waste of perfectly good minutes here. Everybody knows the top of a muffin is a top of a muffin, and the bottom of a muffin is a bottom of a muffin. It's the way you make it. It sits on the bottom, the flat part. The top part is round. Come on, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> you, you still haven't said which part is your favorite, though. Oh, I thought it said which part is the top and which is the bottom. No, he says what part is best, the top oh, or the bottom. Oh, shit. I totally... Hey. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I've got my granddaughter in here. Uh, He's like, oh, shh. I, <laughs> I totally read that wrong. I was thinking... Shiza! So he, he was actually... He just wants to know when you're eating Eric. muffins, what part is best, the top or the bottom? <laughs> I thought he was saying what part because I read this earlier and I was thinking he said which part is the top and which is the bottom. Oh man, maybe we have no, to cut this a, out. This is no, embarrassing. that's great. That's too hilarious. Sorry, There's Eric. Like I am laughs. moted. There's like eight laughs on it here. I'm moted. You guys still use moted? moted. That's what we used to say when we were kids. Like, uh, you're busted. Uh. Anyway. Well, anyway, I would say for myself that the top part. <laughs> yeah, the, the top. The top. Yeah, the top. Okay. April. April Dickerson. If you have any experience with this, can you talk about investing in social media promoting versus purely organic growth? Do you feel this is an effective form of marketing for dark art? Well, I haven't had a ton of luck with the paid promotions myself. I've found, I've tried it, but 
and and I've done the targeted ads even to where you pick the the age group and the location and I haven't seen a lot of results but I feel like I haven't done it enough to really know for sure but um I would say that the having the the best thing you can have better than a bunch of money to promote your stuff is a a real uh grassroots support from your from from people who like your work that's the most that's more valuable than money in the bank as far as i'm concerned because mm-hmm. if you have enough people that dig what you're doing and you can promote to them so they know what's going on you can let them know what you have available that is you know that's where it's at so i have myself have taken the the uh you know just the that approach to the you know the grassroots i haven't paid to get more likes or anything i've got 104,000 people now on instagram and that's all all organic growth so um and it's you know that that's my bread and butter right there you know so mm-hmm. uh, i would say i don't know <laughs> but <laughs> i do know what does work and that is having a large fan base that you can um interact with and market to and you know just kind of build a community with so i would say this and and this is just from a business-minded standpoint um and and i think this is applicable in multiple different uh venues not just dark art and not just even the art world for that matter but insofar as campaigning i would say that if you stand to directly make more money off of spending money then it's a good decision Okay. And that, and that's, that's just capitalism 101. You know, there's nothing, if you, you could, if you have money and you, you, it's available to use and you can guarantee you're going to earn money from using that money, then there's no reason not to do it. But then there's all these other things that come in. So then there's like morals, for instance. So like, you know, if I could go and give somebody a hundred dollars to break into someone's house and steal something I want, that's going to make me money, but I'm not going to do it because it's not a good thing to do. Right. But so what I would say is insofar as advertising and it comes to, you know, social media, if you're running a campaign, right, let's say a Kickstarter, for instance, or any other kind of like crowdfunding type deal, or you're doing a raffle or whatever, if you're doing campaigning, and you stand to fiscally generate more money for more awareness, and you have the money to put down on it, then I would say there's no reason not to spend the money to try to do it. You right. Know? If, if it works, if you can get exactly, it to work. That's the exactly. thing. I felt so kind I of ripped is, off when I did it because I tried it, and I wasn't seeing any more results than when I just promoted to my regular people. Well, I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll give you an example. And but this I, is why like I, I'm, why I'm lobbying behind, behind the idea. Hey, if it worked, I would be happy to pay for it. If, if so it worked just, for I'll me, get, I would be totally happy yeah, to pay. I get I've it. No problem I get with it. it. I'll, I just am going to express one experience I had outside of our experiences okay. because the vast majority of paid advertising that I've done is with you for like dystopia. For instance, we did not a lot, but we dropped a little bit of money here and there to test it out, see how it worked and to try to get some, you know, analytical feedback and say, oh, okay, well, this, this may have worked. This is how much more activity we're seeing. But again, there's no way to actually pin down the quote numbers that they're giving you. You're giving money to a platform that's telling you right. that it's getting this interaction. So there's no way to actually legitimize that. Now, for instance, we were doing all that dystopia stuff and it's hard for me to separate the wheat from the chaff and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, we paid this money. So we got more people that supported this. Pro- I don't know the, the project was successful, but right. when I did Mysterian, right, that Kickstarter campaign, that was me 
pitching to an audience base that I've generated via you and my, the awareness that people have of me through my work with you, but also me trying to reach new people that I've never reached before. Right. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I did was, and as I always do with Kickstarters, I did some pre-launch and I launched a Facebook page that was the Mysterian Facebook page, right? Mysterian card game. If anybody's interested, facebook.com forward slash Mysterian M Y S T E R I A N card game. Um, when I did that, I had this new page that, you know, had no captive audience. So it's not going to do me any good for my Kickstarter unless right. there are people that are aware of the page. Right? right. So I did a little bit of pushing to try to get this page into people's awareness. And one of the things I did was I dropped $86 on a 24 hour ad. And I was just like, you know, I, I don't, I didn't really have the money to spend. So actually it was a bad, uh, capitalism decision, there, but I was like, I, I could squeak some out somehow. So I paid the money for it. And I did go from, you know, zero to 289 followers in like a, you know, a 16 hour period. Oh, that's and that definitely, have happened yeah, no, that's I, definitely I a result it. for sure. So I, yeah. So I, having had that now realizing again, I was campaigning and this is why right. I'm saying within these specific parameters, I have seen it work. I can't right, speak right. to anything else, but well, I can say than that, I did see that there was, and then furthermore, to take it one step farther. Once we did actually start campaigning via Kickstarter and getting people involved, I was tapping into people that I didn't know were familiar with me and certainly weren't related to the avenues I'd already been pursuing professionally right. and otherwise personally. And so I did see also an opening there as well. And that's great. That's exciting. And I don't know how much is due in part to that ad, but what I can say is, is that that page took off quicker than it should have. And I did drop money on. So what I could say is, I wouldn't suggest doing a $3 a day ad for 24 right. days, right. but I would suggest dropping a hundred dollars for 24 hours. If you're trying to get a captive audience and you're campaigning towards crowdfunding, that's my experience. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's good to know. Actually. Um, I would, uh, it may be that I had so many people that I couldn't, I wasn't using the Instagram analytics at that point either. I was just eyeballing it. Like if I, my sales were up when I did a sale and I promoted it. So that's what that's what what I mean by I'm not sure yet. You know, it felt like it didn't work at the time, but I haven't really. Now that I know how to use the Instagram analytics and I have a little business account, I'd be able to gauge better because I can see how many people are following me at any sure. given time and and stuff. So, yeah, I, I I'm not against it. I just I haven't had you know it's been a while since I've had money to drop on advertising. So um, next time I do though, I'm going to keep good track of it. And that's excuse me, that's uh, you know. Well, you know, hey, also, I'll give you a little, I'm going to give you guys a little cheater hint too. That ad that I ran, uh, I didn't actually have enough money in my PayPal account to run that ad. And they ran that ad for me anyway, you know, because Facebook hits you, on, you know, 15 days or whatever. Right. So I actually bounced that PayPal payment for that ad to Facebook, but they don't do anything is the thing. They don't charge <laughs> you a fee. It's so hilarious. And so it just had a little notification that said I couldn't run another ad. And I'm like, well, fuck, I don't care. I just, I did the only <laughs> ad I was going to do, you know, and it's, and it worked obviously it did, did something. And so then once I had enough money in my PayPal account, I, they, they didn't automatically pull it. I like huh. went in there and said, go ahead and shoot it over. And I did pay it. So it was right. paid. But the point that I'm making is, is that, you know, when in, when in a clinch, you can always use your PayPal account through Facebook ads to hustle an angle and get yourself <laughs> a little promo. Even if you're going to bounce it. Yeah. Give it a shot. Why not? Hey. <laughs> they leave a loophole for you. There's no reason you can't stick your hand in it. <laughs> hey, pull your, uh, 
pull your pop screen back because you're popping still. If it's touching, I think it's it's. Pop. You know what's funny is the other day Brian Kilgore, our, our amazing mixing and mastering yes. guy, tells me he says, master, "Just so you guys know, you never have to worry because we don't really listen to these because if we don't have to, we don't want to." He <laughs> said, "You guys never have to worry about any of the dog sounds or the people sounds or the weird things you do or the popping." He's like. I go through and take all that stuff. Oh, cool. out. No wonder it he's sounds like, so good. He's like, it sounds so clean. He's like, you know, even when you forget to hit your mute, mute mic and you know, you're coughing like a maniac. He's <laughs> like, I can still keep Chet up and cut that out. Oh, good. So who knows I, how I didn't know. He, he said he leaves all the comments in. So it's funny because no one will know what we're talking about evidently because all the right. sound is <laughs> referring to it. Isn't that funny? Oh, that's cool. So for those of you out there that have ever wondered why we're referring to things you're not hearing. Thank you. Brian. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I can't bear to listen. I I like doing these, but I don't like listening. I can't. I just can't stand hearing my my voice on this. It's I had really to do hard. the first four, and that was. I was like, I tapped out. Yeah, it's I've hard. Heard, first it's of hard. all, I've heard plenty of Chet Zar's voice. Trust me, editing that. Chet Zar, I like to bait monsters. I heard a lot of Chet Zar. So, but then hearing your own voice with the guy's voice who you had to listen to in editing for almost two years. Yeah, not so much. Yeah, it was your idea. Yeah. But, oh, okay. speaking of which. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, we're waiting for the next question. Okay. The next question is from Joseph Began. Does Chet stretch his own canvas? And if so, would he ever do a demo? Uh, no, I don't. I've never stretched my own canvas. Never once. I stretch my own canvas clays, but that's out of necessity. Um it's a luxury I wish I had, you know, I guess I could, but it's just one more step in, in, uh, in the process that I can cut out because my time is always so short and, and mm -hmm. you know, I want to, I want to put all the attention to the painting and, you know, I know a lot of great artists that use, I just, that use pre-prepared, pre-gessoed canvases, you know, like I just watched, oh, I forgot this dude's name. Kenny Rains turned me on to him. His name's Vincent. Ah, Vincent Desiderio. I remembered. Dang. Chad. And he's great. And he's like a blue chip guy. He's like, mm -hmm. and, and he does, his stuff's actually kind of dark, which is cool. It's totally, cool. but it's, you know, it's not monstery. It's more like psychologically disturbing, but he's a, he's a, he's a master painter. He's got some great, uh, Kenny also turned me on to these YouTube videos where he's lecturing about painting on YouTube. They're really, really, really good. Um, but he was well, talking props, props to Kenny Rains there. Yes, thank you, Kenny. Um, he he talks about he you know he just uses canvases at the store or he or he doesn't no no he was saying yeah he used like no one time he one of them he said that he just attacked canvas on a wall and then stretched him himself. But then on another talk he said that he just uses commercially bought canvases and other artists give him a hard time about it. But, you know, some people are into that. I, I, I get the, the appeal, you know. It'd be cool to make everything yourself, grind your own paints. Yeah, but I mean, you like to do everything yourself already. Yeah, so. and, and you do, it is kind of true in a way that you're, you know, infusing yourself into the process. I want to take you to like one of those pigment museums, you know, like I'd love to see your reaction to going, going to one of those like pigment museums where they have like all the OG, you know, uh, raw things right. that they made into yeah, that pigments would be, and shit. That would be Dude, really be interesting. So cool. I would love to love to do that, but I I, I just uh, with my the my time the, the time I have it's it's better for me to just focus on the painting and you know 
leave it at that. Not, so not stretch your canvas. Yeah. <laughs> Although I've been messing with linen lately, painting on linen instead of I used to just do the cotton canvas. And actually, I have I, I I've got a piece of um, <clears throat> aluminum that I'm going to try painting on because that's the new thing is this aluminum substrate that. Hmm street signs are made of that a lot of artists are starting to use because they're, you know, street signs last forever and, and they right. don't, they don't rust or anything. So, um, and they're really lightweight and strong. So, um, uh, there's going to be a rash, uh, a rash of street sign theft, you know, <laughs> all the crazy dark artists with, you know, cordless Dremel grinders <laughs> driving around in their cars, popping signs left and right. So they can paint on them. Jo an artist named Josh Hardy. He's really, really cool guy. Really good artist. He sent me just a piece just to be cool for me to try out. Cause he had a bunch. So I have cool. a panel. I'm going to try it out. So I may switch to that. And cause the only reason I, I, I would prefer to paint on boards, but there's the weight issue when you're shipping and I always drop them and, crack the corners of the masonite so mm. anyway hope that answers right. your question shane isakowski have you guys seen much dark art coming out of the bay area i'm in the dark arts and i am having a bit of a hard time connecting with other dark artists or even finding a real movement here any help would be appreciated you guys are great i learn all kinds of stuff from you every week oh that's thanks, thanks shane nice to hear you know i'm trying to think the only person I know of who's really, you know, I consider one of the bros in this scene is, um, uh, shit. It's on the, uh, I didn't sleep last night at all. I was tossing and turning and I woke up at five 30 to get stuff ready for shipping today. So I'm kind of out of it. Um, it's Monday oh, guys. Skinner, been Skinner. I love Skinner. Skinner, you know, the artist Skinner, he, he he's, he, he's in the Bay area and he is all about the monsters and um, he's totally cool, totally friendly, hilarious. You should follow him on Instagram. His videos are so funny. Nice. Um, and, and his stuff is great. He does. He, he's, he's all about the monsters. So, um, you know, Skinner might be a good guy to reach out to because he's, he's really, uh, he's a sweet guy and very nice. Um, and probably has probably, you know, knows other dark artists. Yeah. If he himself is one. Yeah. He's kind of like in a class of his own in a weird way. Cause he, you know, that's what happens, you know, when there's no movement and you're painting monsters or something, or you're painting something outside of established movements. I think he was sort of in the, it's almost like he was, he seemed like to me, like he, well, he was kind of in the toy world, the art toy world. And, mm. And maybe in the street graffiti world in a way, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe not. I'm not sure about that, but he's just kind of done his own thing. And, but he's, but he's so, so dark art. He's great. His stuff's really colorful. So Skinner, if you don't know him, he's kind of, you know, he's a big time artist. He's, he's, he's got a large following. So he's like the only guy I can think of off the top of my head. There's Dave Korea. He's not in the Bay area, but he is in Northern California. He's really good and super cool guy as well. Um, and if I'm missing anybody, I apologize, but the, the, the San Francisco scene to me, art scene seems very insular. It seems, it seems like it's its own little thing and I've never been able to really crack it myself and, and show there much, or even see a lot coming out of it that was dark art related other than like Skinner, you know, I can't, uh -huh. and then there might be people I'm not, a, I'm not sure about that. I just don't know they're from. Northern California or the Bay area, but, um, 
Yeah. I, I hope that helps. I don't know. Cool. Yeah. I, I have nothing to offer, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. Uh, Rana Gardner, what's up? Uh, do Rana. all dark artists create memories of their pasts, good, bad, or ugly? Well, I see. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's probably often true. But, you know, I, I think this movement is is so it's it's um it's eclectic it's, yeah it's not only that that's part of it but there's so much more to it because it's it's, re- it's really kind of all-encompassing i think so i would say probably pretty often and probably for many artists but not necessarily that's my mm-hmm. answer if that makes I sense concur. all right okay let's see here cynthia lillandandy how do you deal with other artists who look down at your work because of the subject, genre, or medium? Fuck them. Yeah, word. Not literally, but you know what I mean. I, I, yeah, please don't. Anybody, <laughs> anybody who ever didn't take me seriously or looked down at my work, any other artists, I just blew them off because it's they're yep. not they're not getting it. So why why bother if they're not open to it? You know, the coolest artists that are not dark artists. And another thing about what I like about this dark art movement is that it is very accepting of other art movements. I don't think, you know, like it's weird because, you know, I know Gabe, who's not really a dark artist, but, you mm-hmm. know, he feels like part of the group to me. And a I lot of, is. you know, a lot of other artists as well that, that aren't necessarily dark artists, but we're not like that. We don't we don't exclude people in that way. We're just trying to make a little name for ourselves. But yeah, the whole idea is actually inclusion, not exclusion. Right that's, right. that's that's how we roll. So if those people that have a problem that you know they want to drop that problem and join us anyway, well, cool. Yeah. But if they if they don't, well, then you know, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> but like I was gonna say, the 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 cool, you know, like Gabe has always had an appreciation for the stuff I did, even though he's not painting dark stuff. It was never an issue for him. He never thought it was weird. Same with Alex Gray. You know, he totally right. got it. The first time I showed him, he was like, oh, this is awesome. He's so into yeah. it. He told me, you're going to make it. He's like, oh, yeah, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. <laughs> it was so. It was the coolest thing ever. And I, I just met him. Adam set me up with a meeting. How long with ago him. was that? That was when we were, I think, working on the Vicarious video. When we got mm. together one night. So that's like early 2000s. Nah, no, Vicarious was... That wasn't no. That couldn't. I have no idea. I can't remember. Oh, Vicarious was that was the last six. That was the ten thousand days. It was the the digital one they did. The digital Vicarious, I think was was. It was the last video they've they've done as far as I know. So probably off ten thousand days. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, yeah, but but he completely accepted it, and he's like, yeah, I used to paint monsters. I used to be. I used to get famous monsters of Filmland magazine. So you know, even and I've got a lot of artist friends that are totally like margo king you know mm-hmm. she's totally yeah, into really it amazing all the prima stuff yeah and she hit me up and and she paints you know cats and dogs and and she does mm-hmm. some skulls birds. dead she says amazing dead birds i have a bunch yeah. of her dead bird pieces that are really uh powerful paintings but but you know she's not overly dark and she totally gets it so a lot of people you know get it and and if you don't get it then like you know forget about them just move move, move on 
Well, and, and she went on to say, it seems like all of the things I enjoy, digital art, dark art, fantasy art, Asian art, etc., are not taken seriously or even considered, quote, real art. And and I would say similarly to what Chet just said, but, but moreover, the whole reason that we're even doing this whole dark art society thing is to do that very thing, which is to legitimize what it is that we're all involved in, you included, um, you know, within the eyes of the, the greater art scene. And so, you know, it, if... It's, I think it's easy just to take that punk rock attitude like I would have when I was 16 and just say, fuck them, you know, who cares? But the way that we're do, we're dealing with it, how are we dealing with it? Well, we're starting a cooperative association of dark artists to try to actually lobby for legitimizing this movement. Right, uh, you know, right. so, so I it's think not that like- also it's just that battle cry, too, of being like, you know, taking the time to explain it to somebody. I mean, for instance, you know, I wrote this article card called uh, Dark Art Crosses Barriers for Tattoo Master Magazine, and my parents were recently here. And I gave the copy to my mom because she had saw my she had seen my name on the front of the magazine. It was like, oh, I want you know, I want to read the article. And she read it, and my dad read it, and they were both like, wow, I, you know, I never really understood, you know, like what what the what well, the whole same with dark the, art thing the is. The documentary you know? too, they had the same kind of reaction. Sure, you know? sure. So it's like you know, there is a part of us that if a person is open-minded enough to be able to receive and be edified on a, on a level where they might perceive things from a, you know, an outside the box angle, something other than the dominant paradigm, then sure lobby for it, you know, if the person's worth it. But if the person's going to actually like literally look down on you for it right out the gates, I just think that it's questionable whether you're not going to, they're even on the fence to begin with (laughs) on the other side of the fence throwing rocks. And, and, you know, in, in one regard too, I think, um, I feel personally myself and i think that other dark artists should do this is we are all um ambassadors to this movement that mm-hmm. most people don't understand so it's kind of incumbent on us to behave better than mm-hmm. the average artist and not pull the star trip and not pull the attitude you know and so so i you know it's you got to understand some people to some people, this stuff is terrifying and satanic. I just had a friend of mine, um, text me. I gave him this sculpture I did, which is a cast of my hand holding a gun. Mm. It was called handgun and it had my, my hand. I, it, I remember that. Is that like a relief, a wall thing? Yeah. 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 Super cool. Yeah. It was just a life cast. It was real simple, but it was really cool looking. Cause my hand was all ghostly white and the gun was black and it had a little skull on it. And I'd given that to him because he was helping me out with stuff. And um, I, I would mention his name, but, you know, just family stuff. I don't know if he'd want me to mention that. But a, sure. rel- a relative of his who was very religious took it and threw it out a window. And he just found it like, you know, this is probably a couple of years ago. He didn't know what happened wow. to it or months ago. I, I can't remember. But he's really upset. But, yes, this this person's reaction was you know, horror, terrifying, get rid of it, get it out of the house. It's evil. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so in that sense, we have to be maybe a little better than everybody else as far as, you know, showing that it's not that way. You know, I, yeah. I will do it. And seriously, like when I, I mean, just to jump in real fast and I mentioned how intensely, uh, affected I was by this, but last year I took a trip with my family and I read a lot and I had taken a book with me and I'm pretty sure it was called deliver us from evil. And it was written by a guy who is kind of a self, uh, you know, a self-made exorcist who is also like a hardcore homicide detective in uh, in uh, on the East Coast. I think it was New York or Manhattan or something. Anyway, I think Manhattan is in New York. But anyway, get the point. He is, you know, he wrote this book and it's all about his experiences with these exorcisms. 
And I mean, I was terrified reading this book, but the thing was, I wasn't terrified about the exorcisms. I wasn't terrified about, you know, this, this subject matter. I was terrified by the belief structure that this whole entire very, very devotely Catholic and, and I would say very, you know, uh, alt, alt-right kind of Catholic uh, really believed that like, I mean, they honestly believe that a Ouija board is a portal to, you know, uh, satanic demons that can literally come through and possess you. And, and I'm not, and for people that are listening that believe that, I'm not saying you're wrong, but what I'm saying is, is that it's terrifying to us who have used Ouija boards throughout our lives. It's terrifying to us who are working for the greater good of mankind, who also are dark artists, that people would believe that, you know what right. I mean? Because we're not about that. And so I was so shocked reading this book that is like, there are a huge population of people in, at least in the United States of America, and I'm sure other places in the world that are like so terrified of the kinds of subject matter that we're dealing dealing with that they really think that like it might put their soul in peril right, right. and that is a deep deep fear and so like chet said we need to be very proactive in that role when it's necessary and deemed appropriate to be able to help people to understand that that's not all about that now there are people out there who that is what it is about there are probably people that listen to this dark art society podcast who similarly do get into that dark the dark oh, possession yeah, yeah. And all stuff and that's fine too i'm not judging you either but the reality is <laughs> is is that we are lobbying for this gray zone not the what you know the far side of either you know spectrum but with this mid zone and that's where that you know that's what we're about that's what chet and i are about and that's what we're talking about here you know right right and so there, it terrified me that people believe that because it's like i am not that guy you know right, what i right. mean and, you know i'm sure there's a there's a faction that wants to freak people out and gets off sure. on scaring people in that way and wanting to be evil but I just, you know, my experience is it's just not, that's not what it is. It, it, there may be some people that are into that, but, you know, I'm not into that. And I, and 99.9% of the people I meet are not like that. And, you know, it's I, a, it's a small percentage, at least insofar as who relates directly to the scene that we're at least involved in directly. Right. Right. So, yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I, I um, I'm not into that, but anyway, yeah. Okay. Moving right, right along. We're at about 45 minutes right now. <laughs> and we've made it through. We're on page Q&A number two. And oh I my have God. seven of these. So <laughs> Dylan Thomas, but this is great because we missed his last time. So he okay. said, I asked this before, but you guys ran out of time. And I still want to know, would you ever consider making and selling latex masks of some of the creatures you've painted? Oh, I would absolutely love to make latex masks. And I could make them. I've got... Places that could make them. I know people. I could make them myself if I had the time. It's just a matter I of... I watched you make one for Dystopia. That's for right. yourself. That's right. super cool. Yeah, it was fun. They're, they're really fun to, to do. Um, it's Again, it's just a matter of time and resources for me. That's basically all, all it comes down to. There's a million ideas in sketchbooks that I have that's just waiting for the time and the money to bring them to life. So, yeah, I would be so into that. Everything's awesome. got to, you know, everything's got to make money. Yeah. I'm at that point. I don't have the luxury know, of yeah, <laughs> just throwing have, latex yeah. in and making a mold. And I don't have money saved to where I could just kick back for six months. It's, it's, or one month for that matter. So it's Here's like, what, it's well, good. we just need to, pre, we, you got to get enough people to want that one, you know, the one set of masks and then, you know, pre-sell them. So you have the money so you can actually make the thing, you know, and that's the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or kickstarted or whatever. Yeah. All right. So Patrick Ty, what's up, Patrick? Hey. Uh, what's the latest on a dystopia movie? Well, again, it's, it's a, <laughs> 
<laughs> time money issue. Um, you know, it's still way early. We got to get the book done. And that's the the focus of my life now since I got done with this show. I'm back on that. But that's also, you know, painting busts um, for rewards. There's a lot that still needs to be done. But I am focusing on, um, I got to get these commission, some commissions done. Those black and gray character studies I sold a couple months back and these final paintings for the book. So once the book's done, then we could talk about a movie or a comic book. I was thinking, you know, recently I've been thinking it might be smarter unless, you know, someone comes to us and says, this idea is so amazing. Here's we got some development money. Yeah. We got to make a movie or whatever. Um, <clears throat> that it might be smarter to go into a comic book, something that we could actually make. Cause that's mm-hmm. something we could totally do on our own. Cause between your writing and, my artwork, I think we could, uh, we could do it. And then it would sort of set up the TV show or the Mm -hmm. movie with Mm -hmm. basically like storyboards. I love that. So that's kind of where my head's at right now, but I'm open to whatever, however it goes. So nice. Okay. Andrew Hawkins again, what character from dystopia would you least want to meet in a dark alley? Wow. Yeah, it probably, uh, the taboo character, maybe. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. I would say thug for me. Yeah, but thug to me is like kind of a big dumb guy, even though he's powerful. And the taboo guy, which, you know, that's not really his name. That's one of the issues is what are these yeah, guys' names? Yeah. Some of the paintings are the characters' names. Some of them are the name of the painting and not the character. So that's something... It's problematic. Yeah, something we need to work on. But... um well, and the other thing is, is that we're not making anything up. So as right. we're going along, if he knows the name of the character, right. <laughs> he can use it. But if he doesn't, then we have to use the name of the painting instead. Well, so you know, there's some yeah, categorical it, it, stuff. It, it, if it doesn't come out before the book's made, it's going to be like, we don't know the name we'll of this We'll figure thing. it out next time on, yeah, on yeah, Volume 2. Volume 2. <laughs> but... Um, you know, the other one, though, Heart Eater, too, would be pretty yeah, that, because that's here's true. the reason, though, because I know what these creatures do. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, you're right. OK, so if I just here's what He's, I'm the, the thing. Well, let me, let me, fin- let me I, OK, OK, <laughs> let me finish what I was saying. The reason I, w- I was going towards the taboo guy is to me, he's so he's like fast and violent, like super violent. Yeah. But that's because you know what he does. That's right. what I'm saying. It's like <laughs> upon appearances, if I were to look at like all the paintings, I would say like Thug, if I walked into him in an alley, that he would scare me more than like Taboo. But knowing what Taboo does, which we're not going to tell you guys here, yes, Taboo or Heart Eater or one of those definitely would be way scarier because they do fucked up shit, man. Yeah. You guys have no idea. It's hard. <laughs> so, yeah, right. that would There's be, a, you know, that would be one to think about, too. And come back Patrick Ty says the female ones scare him <laughs> yeah <laughs> I you and know Lori, it's Lori Brown said awesome so she liked that <laughs> uh that's Harley Brown's daughter Harley Brown yeah, if you know, don't know so cool Harley, you guys got yeah connected. Harley Brown's an awesome artist another guy another example of someone who does kind of mainstream type work that's totally into to dark art also you know and he appreciates it but he's super a guy you wouldn't think would be into it but um I, I want to say one thing about these I did a series of female paintings. I've done a few females, but I've, and it's with all this, you know, Harvey Weinstein sexual assault stuff coming out. I've always felt like in some weird way, my characters are mostly male and 
I've not wanted to use women very much because I feel like I don't want to do that to women. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I there these it's like men kind of got it coming <laughs> in a way. Yeah, yeah, you know, right. and and women have been shit upon enough to, they don't need horrible things painted about them. So, you know, and it's very honorable. And, and also I know this to be true about him. He's not just saying this because I've, I've observed chat for a long time. (laughs) And, and, uh, uh, so I've always felt weird about that. And I, and I did do that Lilith show, but those women to me in those paintings were sort of powerful, kind of empowered and, and, um, not grotesque really. They were more like, they're more powerful, but, um, and also, you know, these these they they seem to represent the ego in a lot of ways, and I think the ego is a masculine energy for sure. You know, where the ego it's the ego is the masculine energy, and the the spirit is the feminine energy. You know, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, I'm paint definitely painting earthly egoic beings, and those are generally male to me. You know, mm-hmm, I'm not saying mm-hmm. they all have weenies or anything, but. <laughs> they they are engender male masculinity in some way even even when they're not super masculine they still are feel male male to me yeah so all right well that was an interesting uh, little tidbit I didn't even know uh, Jeremy Cross asks was there ever an opportunity as an artist that you could have taken better advantage of and didn't <sighs> well there's one that comes to mind where I got offered, uh, I'm not sure if I should use names. I, I got offered to do a, a giant painting, like the size of a wall, really big. And I sort of figured it out what it would take me to do this thing. It was for, um, I'm just not going to get into the names, but it was, <laughs> it was for a director for a company that he had for their lobby. You know, and it was really cool that he recommended me for this. And I, I, you know, I budgeted what I thought it would, the time it would take and what I thought the painting would be worth based upon the value of my smaller pieces. And I figured it would be around like a hundred thousand bucks because it was big, it was huge. It was like a wall. And then I went there and they had, I think they were going to pay 16 grand or something. So I was like, (laughs) that's way off. So I ended up not doing it. And now looking back at it, I kind of wonder if I shouldn't have just taken the money and done that to be part of that. But then on the other hand, it was kind of a logo they wanted me to paint. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really my thing. I'm not like a logo guy that much. I don't think I'm that great at really doing graphic design type logo. Yeah. I beg to differ. Well, thank you. But I, 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 I wonder about that one. So that was yeah, yeah, yeah. May, maybe kind of a regret, but um, um, I mean, I, re- I checked it. I ran it by Ron English. I asked him, I'm like, do you think this sounds like too much money? He's like, no, it sounds about right to me. So, well, he's the guy to ask. Yeah, I know he would know. So anyway, that's cool. Well, that that's one. interesting. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. No, <laughs> it is. I'm just saying, you know, keep try to get as many questions in as yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jane Murray, who is has explained in here that she is new to actually listening, and she was curious about where to locate us, and Chet, Chet gave her that information. She asks, how does one cultivate good energy, be it dark or not? And I like right there that she is implying that dark 
energy can be good. Right. I, I like that. Um, I, it's probably as individual <laughs> as every individual that there is. I mean, I don't think there's like a recipe for, for, uh, cultivating good energy. I mean, what might cultivate good energy for me may not cultivate good energy for Chet or for you, you know, well, I, I, mean, I have good ideas, you know, and I know things that have worked for me and for other people, but <laughs> I, you know, I would say probably surrounding yourself with things that you love doing what you love, what you really, you know, I talked about that for the fear show that I got those comic, those horror comics, you know, those old horror comics to yeah, get me yeah. inspired. And Oh my God, I look at those things. They make me feel so good. It's mm -hmm. just a thing with me. And, and it's partially nostalgia and partially, I just love it. I love it. So stuff like that gives me good energy because I love it so much or listening to music. I love, you know, I think that's maybe a practical way of doing mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, doing things for others is another good way to cultivate good energy. I think, uh, you know, whatever that means, helping people, yeah, yeah. you know, and you can, it's easy to do now with social media. You can help people who need it easily by like yeah. we we're saying, sharing things and tons of ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's never been more ways to help others in, right. in the history of mankind. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jesus. So well, I don't know what, what yours would be, but those are, well, I mean, I would say for me, the most important thing is mindfulness, you know, I mean, I think, and that's really ubiquitous. That kind of covers all, you know, areas of a person's experience is mindfulness, being mindful and, and to be mindful, it means to be present and aware of what's going on here and now. And so for me, being mindful is, is incredibly functionally and generating good energy because the more aware I am and more present I am in the actual moment, as opposed to thinking about what's happened in the past or projecting off into what I might think is going to happen in the future, the more I'm able to attend to whatever it is that's actually happening that has a direct impact, you know, whether yeah. that be, be it on me or on those around me, you know, if I'm out in the living room and I'm with my family and I'm busy thinking about something else, well, you know, it's not really, I'm not really there for them. And I'm certainly not even there for myself, you right. know, Right. So That's mindfulness point, yeah. is big for me. Um, mm -hmm. I would say also hiking is a big thing for me. I really find that I generate a lot of energy out of going out in nature where I'm not surrounded by human-made structures and wires and electricity and people's noise and just going out and breathing the air and looking around and again, being mindful and uh, enjoying nature is, is huge for me. Mm. So driving too also for me is a big deal, but I'm just kind of a driveaholic. So that's like, yeah. but for, it's like you with you, with your books, like, or your comic books, like I get all excited to go get in the car and go driving, like, and I, just to drive for the driving sake, like I'll just drive for hours just because I, I just love it. It just feels right. good. I like to watch the scenery and listen to music and sing and think and, mm. you know, so that would, I would call that downtime, you know, so take out the detail and say, taking breaks, relaxing, getting away from your responsibilities for a period of time. What do you focus on? You know, sounds good. I agree with those. It's like moving on, Mike. You've moving said on. enough of your on. new age bullshit. Uh, Chris <laughs> Alford. What's up, Chris? Do you have any plans for a big project in 2018? Uh, not that I can think of just finishing the book, getting the book yeah, out there. That's what I was that's, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. nothing beyond that. That's the big, that's the big push. So, 
Right. Yeah. Well, I agree. I'm on, I'm on track for that with chat. I'm not, I'm not talking about my plans. Patrick Richter. <laughs> hey brother. Uh, what does the process of commissioning a piece entail? It's a good question. Uh, well, for you, obviously. Yeah. For me, um, I, I've tailored it to suit my, myself. And I think I've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again quickly. Uh, I, what I do is I ask, um, I don't like to do commissions that are too specific because it, uh, it, 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 uh, gets in the way of a little bit of my creativity when I, when I have to think, when I have to worry too much about someone else's idea, unless it's an idea that I go, Whoa, that's a great idea. Like the, um, the Cthulhu one for uh, Chris Velasco or the Plague Doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, those were both like, oh, yeah, I love that idea. So let's do that. And and I just was able to go off. But if it's like something I wouldn't normally do, like a, I don't know, maybe if someone said a dragon, two-headed dragon or something, I might be kind of like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> or if they were really specific, it's just, it's more like this, the more specific they get, the, the more difficult it is for me. And that, that might be my own failing. That might be my own response to working for other people for so long in the film industry, you know, and, and, mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, getting designs dictated to me. So what I say is find a, unless, you know, if you have a specific idea, let me know and I'll let you know if it's something I think I can do a good job at. Cause ultimately I could just take the money and do a painting of what anybody, uh, whatever somebody wants, but I'm not going to feel good about the painting or I might, but it's not a sure thing to come out, you know, for a good painting to come out. And I don't want to do that. So what I do is if I am not digging the concept or, or I'm not into it and they still want to do the commission, I, I say get like five or six paintings of mine that you love your favorite paintings and then let me look at them and let me create something based on the feel of those paintings and mm-hmm. and and it's not like I'm incorporating this background and this figure it's more like trying to just capture a feeling that those paintings have and just mm-hmm. kind of work intuitively from there That's super cool. So that's how I do it and then I get um I usually get 50% deposit up front because you have to do that because of you could, you know, if you're taking time out to do this commission and someone says, yeah, I'll pay you when you're done, the whole thing, then you, they, you know, even if it's not their own fault, they could get sick, they could die, you know, something bad could happen to them. And then you've just spent three months on a commission and you don't have any money for it. So if you take a, you take a deposit down, then both people, both people have uh skin in the game. So, you know, mm-hmm. they, they don't, they don't want to blow it off because they already put down significant amount of money. Um, but you know, you can do it in thirds as well. You could take a deposit, you know, there's that could be worked out in different ways, but that's just how I do it. I usually do half up front and then half up on completion. And, um, yeah. All right. Well, that was a good answer. So let's crack through a few more here. Cause there's, I see I've kind of gone ahead and I like some of these. So, okay. uh, Christopher Dombos asks, how do you deal with the lack of sleep most nights and exhaustion at the end of a show? <sighs> I usually push, you know, lots of caffeine and I usually push myself and it's not good. I push myself to where my body says you must sleep now. And it makes me sleep. And I just, you know, I'll, I'll have weeks of 
no sleep. And then I'll have a couple of days where I just crash and I can't get out of bed. And it's like my body tells me you have to stop now or you're going to die and you have to rest <laughs> for a couple of days. And that's probably not the best way to be, but that's kind of how I do it. So, um, you know, I, I, I basically wait until I can't do it anymore <laughs> and then I sleep. That's how I do it. I don't recommend so, that approach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Jim McKenzie asks, how does, what's up, Jim? How hey, does Jim. being an artist who works on his craft just about every day affect those closest to you, whether positively or negatively? Do you feel it can be an endless road of mental solitude? He says, asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, this, I guess this goes back to having an understanding family and partner. I'm lucky that, you know, my wife, Lisa, totally supports me. She knows, and she doesn't support me because. She wants me to be a famous artist or anything. She does not give a shit about that, that at person. all. She doesn't care at all. Like she's totally unimpressed that I have <laughs> some sort of notoriety. Totally unimpressed. For her, the things that impress me is is that are, you know, that I'm a good father, that I'm a good person. Those things are, you know, what impresses her about me. And not none of the none of the personal or none of the professional stuff. She's just never been and she's never even when we worked on movies, she was never starstruck with celebrities or anything like that. So um, she she supports me because she knows I love it. I love it. I love to paint. It's, I love it like more than anything. So she's she's totally into letting me do it. And you know we're also old enough now to where we allow each other our freedom to do whatever we want. You know, we've raised kids and they're grown up and uh, we don't have, you know, we're kind of like, f finally, we don't have a responsibility to somebody else. You know, we, we <laughs> of course you always do with your kids and your family, but it's like, there's not immediately, you don't have to worry about getting someone's lunch together for school. You don't have to worry about dropping them off at soccer practice or whatever. So we're just like totally, she's like, I'm going to watch fucking video public freak out videos all day and i'm like okay i'm gonna go paint all day and watch movies and it's just super enjoyable super fun and, and free so um i i guess I, i'm not sure if i answered the question <laughs> uh you gotta well, yeah, basically I mean, the, the people the, your family or the people you live with have to kind of be into letting you do it and well and you also have to i think be able to be gratified enough for yourself doing it for you know because chet likes to go off in the studio by himself and paint he likes that he would prefer to be by right. himself in the studio painting yeah. so if you know he, he, jim's asking about a life of solitude and it's like you have to you know yeah there's going to be a lot of that solitude and you have to actually enjoy that if you don't enjoy that then you're not going to like that part of right. it or maybe you should diversify and find a way to you know be more in a greater group of people while you're creating. But right, you know, for right. me, I live out in the middle of nowhere because I like the solitude. Mm -hmm. I like to be able to go out and disappear in the badlands and not see a single trace of humanity for as long as I feel yeah. like it. Like that's, yeah. I like that. I'd rather be in my office by myself. Yeah. So that's, that's, you know, I, and I've always been like that since I was a little kid. And my mother also has always been like that. And actually my dad, my biological father was very introverted as well like kind of a loner type guy. And my stepdad was totally the opposite outgoing and stuff. But again, he's very, he was very homebody as well in a way, you know, he was hardcore, 
in the studio every single day. So it, it's, it totally suits me fine. So yeah, I do think it helps if you are oriented that way, you know, but, but you know, there's, if you love to create, but you love to be around people also, or you like to have a social life, you know, like Mike said, that's maybe where, you know, some kind of co-op situation or shared studios there's there's ways around it you know there's for sure for sure this is just well, my way in mike's way that we're talking about that we enjoy well and insofar as like getting along with your partner and stuff you know for me i become i i become obsessive about whatever project it is i am i'm working on it doesn't matter what it is even if it's right. not even creative whatever i'm working on yeah, for yeah. me is yeah. creative when you're I building mean, if I could be, you're building a yurt <laughs> yeah right I'm, I'm digging a kiva and that's me you know so for me everything i'm doing i'm excited about you know and and that exuberance can be tiring to your partner mm-hmm. because you're like pumped and just jazz and you want to talk about, about it all the time. <laughs> they're just like, fuck me. Shut you know? up. So I'm trying to watch what a movie. I find, what, yeah. <laughs> so what I find is, is I have to learn to moderate myself and that's just a reality. And that, it, that comes with, you know, some of the key components of being in a successful relationship. And one of the, what I call the three C's is compromise, you know, communication, compassion, and compromise. Those are the three C's. Compromise is huge. And so what that means is you have to develop a self-awareness of yourself, you know, okay, uh, I'm really excited about this and I can tell that other person has probably heard enough about it. And then yeah. you know, I monitor myself, you know, do I want to do all of that? Well, no, I don't. But the reality is that I need to do that because I'm living with this other person and, and right. I need to take them into account because the reality is they take me into account. So I think that sometimes what it takes to be a creative person and get as exuberant and as excited as we do is that you do have to learn to put a little bit of a lid on it from time to time oh, yeah. and to appease those around you. It's just a reality. Yeah. Yeah, if I get excited about something I know Lisa's sick of hearing about or not that interested in art-wise, I'll just call me. Yeah, I'll call you or, you know, (laughs) talk to Travis Louie. I just talked to him this morning. We were talking, you know, we always call each other and bitch about being broke and 50 years old. (laughs) But yeah, so that's what friends are for, you know. No, when you when you when you when your spouse can't take anymore, <laughs> go to your friends. <laughs> so I want to do two. Uh, no, I'm going to do three more here, and then we got to call it. So Richard Ray Ingersoll he asks, "Do you varnish paintings before or after getting photos taken of them?" Ah, uh, that's a good question. Actually, I varnish uh, my Larry Underhill, my photographer. He uses these polarizing filters that kills any. Um, highlights from the gloss he tells me not to but i always do it because there's certain paintings especially uh paintings with dark colors and blacks and stuff that just look gray until you varnish them and and the colors aren't rich so i always varnish but i'm not taking my own photos either you know if i was taking my own photos or maybe scanning if my paintings are small enough to scan i would probably not varnish them first but since i have a guy that can deal with with the highlights. Plus I know how to use Photoshop really well. So I can, anything that if there's for some reason, a little highlight reflected light off of the glo- the, the varnish, I can deal with it in Photoshop. So I do it, but you don't have to, it really depends. You know, it really depends on the, so I've had paintings that were all lighter values and, and it really didn't need to be varnished in order to photograph well, but most of my stuff's kind of darker, deeper color, you know, dark shades I guess, and stuff. I guess you could almost kind of say that, that it would make sense to just say, okay, well, take a picture of it before you varnish it and varnish it and then take a picture after you varnish it because pictures don't cost that's anything true. these days. If it's not like you have to develop film or anything. That's true. I mean, that's true. If, if you're, you're taking it with yourself, I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. If you're having a pro t- take it, that's a whole different game. But if you're just taking your own pictures, it'll take two pictures. Right. And any any professional would, 
<laughs> any any professional should be able to deal with the 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 gloss issue. And I, I, I think, think what you're saying though is basically whatever makes it look the best in the picture do that. Right. Right. If it's going to look, if you're going to, if it's not going to be varnished and then your color is going to look like shit, well then you're going to have to varnish it and come up with a way to deal with that highlight. If it's going to look be all right, not varnished then, you know, and you don't want to worry about the glare, then just take a picture of it the other way. But I would just say, take shitloads of pictures. I just take shitloads of pictures of everything. That's, that's the way to solve yeah, the problem. Yeah. <laughs> One of them is going to be good. <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, this is great because this is Lori Brown asking a question for her dad, Harley. So oh, right this on. is a question from dad, Harley. Quote, do you wait until you're inspired before you go to your studio or do you go to your studio regardless? Start working, hoping you'll get that inspiration. I bet you he knows the answer to this. Of course he does. I think he's asking because he knows it's an important question to answer. But no, I never wait to get inspired. I you know, I usually, you know, I have stuff to do. And so, um, I paint and I, and as you paint, you become more inspired. And I just last night I was painting this commission I got to do, uh, of a collector. And, um, I, I, you know, I wasn't feeling it for, you know, a good hour into it, but I kept, you know, just painting in this laborious way and working with it. And then it then it started looking good and it hit me and I, then I got into it and then I stayed up too late, which is part of the reason <laughs> I had trouble sleeping last night because I went past that point of being tired because I got totally into it. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's kind of what being a professional is really. One of the aspects of being a prof professional artist is that you, you know, you, you, you don't wait for inspiration to hit you. You know, you, you make the inspiration come to you or you do what you got to do to invite that inspiration in. You know, I like I, I make myself comfortable. I put a movie on next to my easel or whatever podcast or audiobook or whatever and just try and get into it. So I try and make the first move and meet it halfway, you know, the muse and then coax it to come to me. And, if, yeah, you know, yeah. and so, you know, sometimes you'll have a totally crappy session the whole time and it's a bummer, but, you know, it's better than you know, the next day or two, you'll be back up and be cool again. It's better, yeah. better than waiting a couple weeks for inspiration to hit. I don't know. Well, you know, also I think it's, and I would speak to this a little bit as a writer too, like writer's block is kind of the same thing that he's talking about, you know, painter's block or whatever. But it's like, you know, when I have to write, I write under the circumstances that are best for me, right? So I know that what works for me is to wait until 48 hours before my deadline and then write the thing I'm going to write. doesn't matter how long it is. Now that makes sound ridiculous but the, the reality for me is is that if i work on it any other time i'm going to be disappointed frustrated it's not going to be right i need that pressure and intensity to function to do my best work i need it now i now i'm not saying everybody is that way but what i'm saying is is you know each person needs to adjust their schedule their cycle and their you know the way in which their routine operates to what works best for them and it doesn't right. matter what other people think it really doesn't so it's like people may be like oh you're procrastinating and it's like no what it is is, is I'm writing in my head and it takes me a month to sort it all out. And then I see it all in my head and then I sit down and I crack it out because I'm inspired and I'm excited and I have that intensity and that pressure. It'll be way better than if I pick at it because I promise if I pick at it for that whole month, I'm not going to create anything worth keeping, you know? Right. So again, I think the important thing is, is to do what works for you. And if what yeah, works for true. you, like Chet said, is for what works for him is put on a movie because it makes him feel good. It's his routine. He enjoys it. It's something that distracts him. 
get himself a drink so that he's comfortable. He doesn't have to get up and start noodling around. And eventually for him, he'll coax in that sensation of inspiration, you know, and everyone has a different kind of schedule for themselves. So I would just say that the key here is, is self-awareness and self-discovery. Learn more about yourself and don't be worried about what other people think, whether or not they're going to say, Oh, well that's, I wouldn't do it that way. Or that's weird. If it works for you, fuck them. Yeah. I'm sure some people, you know, go jogging or whatever to get inspired. Right. Whatever, whatever you need to do to get you inspired, that's what you should do. But I have to say, I have to add to that. I don't know any working painters that wait around for inspiration. I've never heard any of my friends that paint say that they wait until the inspiration hits them. So Mm -mm. for what that's worth. Well, and, and I can say the same for all of the creative avenues that I pursue. There's nothing. I, yeah, I'm not, you know, I, I would say it's a rarity that I'm super inspired. I mean, generally the overall right. idea is inspiring. Like I, like you're inspired about dysto- or uh, the fear, for instance, we yeah. just had that. You're inspired about the fear, but you're not necessarily inspired about every single one of the paintings that makes up the fear. You know, I right. was inspired about Chet's R.I. like to paint monsters, but there were acts, <laughs> you know, a whole bunch of things I had to do that I was not terribly inspired well, about, the, the- but you got to do the work anyway because you're 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 working towards a greater thing you know all those little components make up this this larger thing you're focusing on yeah. and that's what you're working towards that greater good what's the quote 10 percent inspiration 90 percent perspiration or whatever yeah. it's pretty much true you know <laughs> it's true it really is well i think that's a great last question to call it on and we're probably over our time here yeah well, we're at an hour of 16 minutes. So. Yeah, let's call it because I got other things I need to do here. And we can do another one, and I know where we're at, and I have it all you know, coded and in a folder and organized. So. Okay, so we'll do so part. We'll, we'll, we'll keep doing parts until we're done, done with all these questions, I guess. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully we'll get it done. And I think we can get through it on the next one. So. Okay, good. Well, those you know, it's it's great to hear you answer some of these questions too for me, Chet, because a lot of the things that you're answering are questions that I've asked you over the past years that I've known you and that you've you know answered, but it's like you know here and there kind of cherry picking. So it's interesting to hear these answers again, as if kind of for the first time, you know, more concisely. Plus, you know, I'm not full of shit because I'm saying well, the yeah. same things from, well, from years no, ago. There's no question. You, I've never never wondered whether you're full of shit or not. If you struck me as someone who was full of shit, I wouldn't have wanted to make a documentary about you. <laughs> That's and true. I, I can judge that generally pretty good. I mean, I get duped, you know, but every once in a while. But still, it's like I'm not going to make a, a film about, you know, some self-interested asshole. And there are plenty of them out there. I mean, that was actually the number one thing that got me excited about you was like, this guy is just like so authentic and accessible. It's just like it's so a, it was so atypical because everyone else I had approached in that realm was all like full of themselves and shit. You know? I never, and, yeah. and of course, that. It still goes on. I'm there are still people, you know, that are doing that. Yeah, I just never understood. It just doesn't seem like what is why would anybody do that? It doesn't make any sense to me why you would be that way, unless you're in some kind of psychological pain or something, maybe. Or if it's it's part of your hustle. I mean, you gotta remember that, you know, manipulation is yeah. is often yeah. used in ways that are self-serving. And so, you know, I mean, granted, we're all manipulating everything all the time, but you know, maliciously manipulating things in a self-serving manner is not beyond a certain class of people because it works for them. And, you know, we we learned what we learned why you know, the way we did. Sometimes it's hard to rewrite that in a person. You right. Know? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, shame on them, but still it's who they are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just you can't hate a player for being a player. Well, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, 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 you know, let's wrap it up. I don't want to sound like a patronizing 
asshole. But I, 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 just, I wanted to say a quick thing. I probably should have said it at the beginning, but I didn't want to sound like a patronizing asshole, so I didn't say it. But um, this whole, the whole um, sexual harassment thing that's going on on Facebook about you know pe- women writing Me Too on their you know people that have been sexually harassed or sexually um, assaulted. Assaulted. Uh, I, I applaud everybody who's who's taking part of that. It's really Holy fucked up, and and it's something you know. My anybody that knows my wife knows that you know she's hardcore uh, feminist, and I've always felt that I was that way. My, I was pretty much raised by my mother, and my stepfather was very, very much very respectful of her, and he you know he worshipped her. So. Um, I was raised in that environment, so it's uh, never been an issue that I feel like I had. You know, like I've never catcalled a woman or any of that stuff. And you're not, it's, you're not that way either. It's like your, that's the thing. No, I it's was like, raised in the same kind of I ne- strong woman household, and with I've like never strong leader women. <laughs> and I've, I've never talked about like my sexual conquests with my buddies. I've never been like that. And mm-hmm. anytime. I was around people that were like that. It always made me feel like I was weird or something, you know, mm-hmm. like going to strip clubs. And I just have never been into that. It just seemed, just didn't seem right to me. And so, uh, you know, to see, I, I just wanted to applaud all the women who are, are standing up because it's really fucked up. And I really do think that it is most men don't still don't get it. And seeing it on Facebook like this is very powerful. It's hugely powerful. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's really and, – and also it's really important because as you pointed out on Facebook, Chad, it's the root problem of a lot of these other yeah. symptomatic issues that we face. You know, people want to talk about addiction and people want to talk about mental illness and people want to talk about incarceration. All of those things are a result – of this kind of thing. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The reason that it's, women suffer the way they do is because they are treated the way they are and have been, it's in the culture. It's ingrained. It's, you know, Absolutely. it's, it's, it's as, yeah, it's as ingrained as any, anything. And, um, uh, it's this, it's really, you know, this culture of domination of, of a, mm-hmm. you know, bullying, str- st- it really comes down to yeah, and it really comes the big thing that gets to me is that just the whole objectification thing. It's like you're taking these people and making them seem like objects. They're not humans anymore. They are items that are available for your interest, pleasure and, and excitement, you know, and that's disgusting because there no human in the world is that. Right. Right. And so, uh, it, it really goes back to fucking cavemen being stronger, (laughs) male cavemen, male, monkey men are stronger than the women monkey men so they get the way and it's been like that since the beginning and so it's become and it, and there's still these traces of it in in our culture and and it and, and it's resulting in all this rape and well, sexual harassment and, then, yeah, and just, a code of silence i mean because it's a domino effect and so it's like that's been the big thing i mean shit it wasn't until the 80s when like sexual you know assault within like family households domestically was even like started becoming a thing you know where people were talking about it i mean right. in the 70s no one was saying a word about no, it no. and then all of a sudden like oh we're talking about it in the 80s this isn't new this is as oh, old yeah. as humankind no, I I remember, and yeah, so, I, I remember, you know, knowing kids, parents in, in my neighborhood when I was a kid, you know, the father beat the wife and that was just the way it was, yep. you know? So, 
I just think, you know, I, I just wanted to say it's really, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm sorry that you've been through that. And, uh, I, I think it's really cool that you're speaking out about it. I feel like this is just, I think this is big. I think this is a big thing. It's like tying all these things together, like this yep. old Trump thing and, you know, this Harvey Weinstein thing. It's, it's like, it's time and the, the racism thing. Yep, that's been yep. going on and the white supremacy it's it's tying it all together i think if you look at the root of all that stuff it really comes down to that kind of you know that kind of domination that domination dominating there's, culture there's, or whatever it's you know? very yeah yeah totally i mean really because when you think about the way in which even corporations look at the earth and the earth of course right. is really i mean mother, as as you want, mother sound, earth yeah, man it's mother it's it, we all are from this this terrestrial plane and so you know the idea is to look at it as a commodity and then look and see where you can get resources out of it you know at any cost yeah use it as object it's objectified yeah. and used totally. and yeah it's totally the environment it's everything yeah. coming it's together super, so it's, it's super disturbing obviously yeah, you know yeah but it's yeah. also vastly important you know that again that people are talking about it and becoming aware of it and not allowing it to just you know quietly you know dodge between the bushes because it's really important you know it's it's the perhaps one of the most important things of our time. So yeah, there's a huge absolutely. inequality going on. And I think that's the main thing is like, you talk about racism, you talk about sexism, you talk about classism, you talk about all these isms. The reality is, is that it's inequality. You know, this plane is suffering from a major imbalance and there, yeah. there's a major inequality that's going on. And only so much of that can, can really be, uh, can we can bear as a people before something breaks and something you know ra more rash things happen? It's, right. it's so it's exciting and it's scary, but you know be a voice for positivity and and be constructive. You know that's that's the message I would send everybody away with today. Be constructive. Say me too if it's you. Goddamn right. Yeah, and also if you see you know as men, I think um, if you see other men doing it, you need to call them out because this Damn is straight. you know it's it's fucked up. It's fucked up. And it's, you know, I remember when I was younger, I was talking about this on Facebook. I'll wrap this up because we got to go. But um, just going, I, I just today I was like, oh, shit. I started thinking about my days in the, the effects world. And it was so like that all the time, every day. And I always felt like outside, of, like an outcast, like a weirdo. Like I should have been able to go along with it and laugh along. And I just didn't, I felt weird. And it, and, it, and it's like I was so used to being an outsider anyway that I just kind of chalked it up to, oh, I'm just not a normal person. Right, you know, I'm right. not a normal guy. I'm not a normal guy with sports. I'm not a normal guy with all this other right, stuff too. Right, I'm just also right. not a normal guy with this. And, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, what was, oh, I was going to make a pretty good point. Well, I, I guess, you know, I, looking back, I wish I had called it out more, even though I know I, I expressed my displeasure with it. But I know a lot of times I probably just kept my mouth shut about just people, the way they acted and talked, because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you say that stuff and you get teased and bullied for being pussy whipped or mm -hmm. being a pussy or being a wimp. And it's like, it's, it's just, it's, it's so deep in the culture in that way. So 
I, I just would, took the card because what they everyone called me was, oh, he's one of those sensitive guys. Yeah, I was yeah. a sensitive oh, yeah, guy. Yeah. And here's the thing is I'm a tall, fit guy and I'm kind of intimidating. So it's like, yeah, I, I'll take that card and call me whichever <laughs> you want. Because no one, you know what I mean? Like, I don't care what people think of me, you know? Right, right. Uh, you know whereas, like, I can see the bullying culture being more effective on people, especially some of the older generations. Because, like, I grew up realizing right out the gates, like, I am never going to fit in. So I'm not even going to try. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no point. <laughs> But like I said, I, you know, I don't think there needs to be this mob mentality and just jumping on people. But when you do see it for real, you see other people doing it. I think you need to call people out, you know, it's, it's well, like, and, and, and you can do that in a way that is, is nonviolent. And I think that's also really important. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's easy for our aggressions and pent up sensations, especially as Cro-Magnon males in this world, <laughs> we've all been created this way too. I mean, the reality is it affects the males and the females, you know, equally and, but in different ways, certainly. Right. And Chet and I are perhaps more of a smaller uh, quotient, but nevertheless, you know, it, it's, oh, I lost my point. So fuck it. <laughs> don't you hate it when it just goes straight yeah, out yeah yeah so i i just i you know i guess this you know it's really time this shit's got to stop because it's getting oh, to the I, point I what I was it's, say. Okay, it was okay. about violence it was about you know don't it doesn't mean that you because i i get angry because i see the inequality and it does make me as a you know a, a male and someone who has that drive in me to like want to feel violent and get right. angry and be like fuck those motherfuckers. I'm going to hurt them. You know, right. and there is a, drive. there's a predatory drive in us and it's a real thing. But the reality is, is that you can get someone with your words so much better. It's so much more powerful. And actually right. I, I know going on and on, but my dad just told a funny story about me recently where I guess when I was a kid, him and my grandpa had taken me to a store to get some clothes or something. And this lady at the counter, like cut into me because the way I was dressed and like full on, like my dad said, he was, he was even so kind of put out by it. He was like going to call her manager. He was getting like you know, cause she was basically telling me shame on me for dressing uh -huh. that way. She was this Christian. My dad said that it, after it was all done, she got done with what she said. He said that, I don't remember this, but evidently I said, well, would you like to know why it is that I dress this way? <laughs> sounds like you. Like, you know, slowly <laughs> went into this methodical explanation as to what it all was, you know, and just very calm and cool and collected. And I guess my dad said her jaw just hit the floor and she was so, you know, it just totally was the slap in the face, the proverbial slap. Yeah, so well, just remember, you know, if you're calm, cool and collected and you express yourself in an intelligent manner, right. it's going to be far more effective than doing any anything physical right you know? or even just ah fuck you you stupid asshole it's like that's you know. not gonna get in then that's just oh you know if you say something and it gets through to someone shit you just rang their bell you know if you punch someone or if you yell at them you've definitely told them oh, we'll fuck you and they're not gonna listen to anything you have to say right so that's our two cents well, yeah we went on a little a little tangent there but it's important to both of us yeah i think i mean we're we're at, we're on the, the brink of nuclear war practically with North Korea and all this shit is, I'm telling you, it's tied, you know, this it's tied oh. into this. This is the kind of the root. It's the male energy dominating the female, female yep. energy. So it's, True. you know, as much as it's women need to stick together, women are the majority of the world. If the women got together, they would take over. They could kick all our asses. It's, it's like women need to stand up and unify, but men need to also hold each other accountable and make sure that this shit doesn't go on. Cause it makes, it makes guys like me and you look bad it because it, 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 you know, when you see all these things on Facebook, it's like, it's happened to every woman. Mm -hmm. It seems the, the, or, or the women who it hasn't happened to are like in the minority, which is Definitely. so disturbing. So, Terrifying. you know, it's, it's women legitimately can start to feel like all men are this way and we're not. And, and so I, you know, it, it offends me 
that other men are doing this, you know? So, you know, if you're going to get, if you're doing that and, and I know you, I'm going to call your ass out for sure. You know? So so. he will too. I've seen Chad do it many times (laughs) for for a variety of different reasons. He takes stances on cause he's, you know, Chad is an opinionated individual and he definitely takes his stance, you know, seriously. So you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) You're going to check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) All right. All right. We're calling it on that night. Let's go. Getting silly now. (laughs) An hour and a half. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review us and follow us and share us and all those good things. You can also support Chet directly by going to Chet are.bigcartel.com and purchasing any of the amazing items he has to offer there. Right now I am accepting support for my our sister podcast emails from infinity on patreon.com forward slash emails from infinity. You guys can get in for $3 a month up to $99 a month, all kinds of cool rewards. Thanks yes. again for listening and we will be back in another week with more Q&A. Goodbye.